0: may you fill our hearts with a love for you. Um, Lord, just speak through Kyle. Make your word living and active uh, because, Lord, it is. It is living and active, and we need you now. We need you today. Uh, Just encourage us and strengthen us as we learn from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 4. Last week, we looked in John chapter 3 about the story of Nicodemus. And what I love about the Gospel of John and the Gospels in general is we get to see Jesus in relationship. And that, that's the God we serve. That's the God we follow is we, we follow a relational God. And so I'm, I love going through the Gospels and specifically the Gospel of John because you see that. You see Jesus in relationship and you see Jesus call people to follow Him, right? And some follow Him, and some make the choice not to. And we all have to answer that same question. What are we going to do with Jesus? And when He calls us to follow, will we choose to follow or not? And so the story today is a pretty cool story in John chapter 4, the story of uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And so I'm going to start reading in verse 4. We'll just kind of go through it together here. Verse 4, now He had gone Through through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria. I'm going to back up. I'm going to go to verse three. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. So I want to give you a a kind of quick history lesson. Uh, so we can kind of get the background of this story, because it's significant as we look at this story about this Samaritan woman and Jesus and their interaction. First of all, so Jesus is coming from Judea, and he's going to go up to Galilee. Now, if you would just go and straight up, it would take you about two days to go from Judea to Galilee. Two-day journey, you're there. But here's the problem. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. So what they would do is they would go around Samaria to get to Galilee or Judea, wherever they were going. They'd go around Samaria, and what was supposed to take two, maybe three days would end up to probably a six-day journey. And they did that because there was this great hatred and dislike against the two people, the Samaritans and the Jews. They hated each other. Hated each other so much that what would be a two-day trip you turned into a six-day trip just to avoid them. But that's not what Jesus does. So Jesus leaves Judea, and he heads to Samaria. And so we see this. This is what he's going to do. He's going to go around, and he heads up to Galilee. And Jacob's well was there. Now there's some significance here with Jacob's well. They believe this to be holy ground. And if you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 33... Genesis 33, we got Jacob's well in 1950 B.C. Jacob purchased land at Shechem, and he built a well there. And so there's some significance. And this is where Jesus shows up. The Jacob's well is there, and there's a lot of history. This is nearly 2,000 years ago, we're going back. Jacob purchased this, purchases this well. Okay, so we have this well at Shechem. So much significance, and this place has so much meaning that when they were freed from captivity remember they spent 400 years the nation of israel 400 years in captivity in egypt at the end of those 400 years you can see this in joshua 24 32 this is now 1400 bc they marched joseph's bones back to this location back to shechem right where jacob's well is okay so there's great significance and history here at jacob's well Now, uh, this is also the area. Mount Gerizim is right there, and many believe Mount Gerizim is where Abraham took Isaac up onto the mountain to sacrifice him. Okay, this is also taking place right in this location, so you can kind of see the history. So, this is the significance of the location here at Jacob's Well. A lot of significance, wouldn't you say? Right? So, this is what we got going on. Now, Some background when we talk about Samaria and we talk about the Jews and the relationships between the Jews and Samaritans, okay? Well, in 720 BC, this would be 2 Kings chapter 17, Samaria, or uh, 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 the Assyrians invade and they conquer. What they do at this time, they invade and they conquer, what they do at this time is they left some of the Jews behind, okay? So they come in, they conquer, they leave some of the Jews behind. Now, this was typical. If a conquering country came in and conquered you, what they did not want to happen is they did not want you then to uh, begin to grow in numbers, and then there'd be an uprising, and you would then right challenge your conqueror. And so what they would do is they would come in, they would conquer the country, and then they would intermix. Their people, the Assyrians, then would marry the Jews. And so here is how the Samaritans came about. The, the uh, Assyrians come in, they conquer, and then the remaining Jews, they marry. And so now what you have is you have this new people group. You have this mixed culture, mixed uh, race, and mixed religion. And so now what they're doing is they're taking some of Judaism, they're taking some of what they know, and now the Assyrians come in, they conquer, and so there's this base right of some sort of knowledge of God and some belief in God, and yet there's this other... Theology and this other belief system that's coming in. And so this is who the Samaritans are. And and it's probably no different than if you look across churches in our country today who there may be some sort of foundation at one point in a belief in the God of the Bible and the belief in who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross. But what happens so many times, right, it kind of gets watered down. And you can look across many, many churches, even in the United States today, and although there may be some sort of grounds and basis in the Bible. It's watered down. It's just a, some uh, faint version of what true Christianity is and true relationship with Jesus is. And so that's who the Samaritans are, is that they have this kind of this, this base, right? I mean, that, they're right here at Jacob's well. You're going to see the Samaritan woman talk about the significance of Jacob's well. So there's, there's this kind of this foundation, and yet missing it, not truly understanding what's going on. And so that's what we got. We got 720 BC, uh, Samaria invaded, they they deported. Uh, Well, in 538 BC, Cyrus decrees the return of the Jews. And you can read about this. Nehemiah and Ezra are going to talk about the temple being rebuilt. And so now we've got the Jews are coming back to the homeland, and they begin to build this temple in 538 BC. Okay, 538 BC, they want to help with the temple. They come alongside, and what do the Jews tell them? We want nothing to do with you. And so this kind of this hatred between the two groups begins, Jews and Samaritans. About 500 B.C., there is a renegade Jew, and he goes and he marries a Samaritan woman. And what is done done is there is a temple built on Mount Gerizim, this place where we believe that Isaac or, uh, Abraham and Isaac, right, where Abraham went up to sacrifice his son Isaac. This is probably where this, this temple was built. Okay, and it's this, again, this renegade Jew, uh, um, Jew marries the Samaritan. This temple's built 500 B.C. 120 B.C., now we're closing in on the time of Jesus, right? Close to the time of Jesus. The Jews march up to Mount Gerizim, and they destroy this temple that the Samaritans had built. And so you can kind of see how this hatred continues to grow and grow between Jews and Samaritans. They have a deep hatred for each other. Normally, a two, three-day walk, if I'm walking through Samaria, most would take that six-day journey because they hated each other so much. It's why the story of the good Samaritan probably blows people's mind that, that day and time because they're like, why would a Samaritan woman stop and help? A Samaritan man stop and help. It makes no sense. It's because there was no relationship, no love for each other. They hated each other, hated each other deeply. And so you you can begin to set the the scene of this story. Jesus, you know, Jesus is all about bringing people together, right? Jesus is all about restoring relationships, ultimately restoring people to himself. And so Jesus takes this journey from Judea, and he goes up to Samaria. Uh, He goes up to Galilee, but he stops in Samaria, and he meets this woman. And it's an incredible story. And the first thing we see is is Jesus here with a Samaritan woman. If you go back to verse 6, says he was tired from the journey. I, I love this picture because what we see is we, we know Jesus. He's fully God, yet he's fully man, right? He experienced. He's tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty. And we see the humanity of Jesus here. Tired from the journey, he sat down by the well, and it was noon. It was noon. And so he sits down by this well at noon. Now, here's the significance. Now, normally what would happen is... Uh, In the early morning, see, noon was probably the the hottest time of the day. It wasn't probably. It was the warmest, hottest time of the day. And we are in the Middle East, okay? So we're in the Middle East. At the hottest time of the day, no one comes to draw their water at that time. When they would come, what was typical is the women would come early in the morning, before, before it started to get hot, and they would draw their water, get the water they needed for the day, and then return home. No one would come to the well in the middle of the day. On top of that, the well—the well was a place that would people, the, uh, the women would come. They would talk. They would gossip. You know, they would come and they kind of share stories. It's probably like you know a lot like Starbucks today, right? People come. They, they they gather there. They share their stories. That's kind of what the well was back then. You know, my my grandpa Kenny, uh, small town Iowa every morning he would go uh, in Steamboat Rock. There was a, uh, a gas station there, and it was called the Rock Stop. And every morning he was up there, and all his friends were up there. And what were they doing? They were gossiping. They were talking about everything that was going on, sharing the stories. Same thing we'd do at Starbucks. And it was the same thing. This is what people would do. They would go to the well in the morning. They would share their stories, share their gossips, and they would go, and they would meet their friends there. That's where people came, and they gathered. The women came, and they gathered. They get their water, and eventually they would head home. And so we're getting to see a a picture, I think, of what's going on. This woman shows up, right? It's noon. No one else is there. And, And I love this picture of who Jesus is. Every other person, they would avoid the Samaritans, wanted nothing to do with them. What was Jesus about? Who'd he come for? He came for the lost. He came for the sick. He came for people to bring people to relationship with him. And here's this woman who, from what we can gather from the story, is probably rejected by her own people. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. And nobody's around. And so we pick up this story in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Here's what takes place. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Men don't speak with women. And yet here is a woman who's a Samaritan whose sin is probably going to become very evident, but who is Jesus? Jesus came for her. Jesus sought her I love this. He puts his reputation on the line. It, it, it doesn't matter who she is or what she's done. Jesus isn't concerned with his image. Jesus isn't concerned with what people think when they look at him, what Jesus is concerned about. Jesus is concerned about people. Jesus is concerned about lost souls. Jesus is concerned about bringing people into a right relationship with him. And Man, it, it, it's such a challenge. And You look at this and how many of us look and, and we we probably care deeply what other people think, don't we? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one like that, but we probably care deeply what people think. But yet Jesus gives us this great example. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people think of me, right? I want, I want a good reputation in the community, but what matters, man, what, what does Jesus think? What's my relationship with Jesus? What does that look like? Jesus came for this woman. He came so lost souls could find, could find him. Verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Living water. If you look and uh, we talk about living water, go back to last week. We're talking about Nicodemus, and what did Jesus do? He took an ordinary thing, not, I shouldn't say that in front of women. Giving birth is not ordinary, but he takes an ordinary, everyday thing about giving birth and he, he talks about this metaphor, this spiritual. What does it mean to be born again? Right? And what's he do here? He takes this ordinary thing about water and he uses, he uses it as a metaphor for relationship with him. If you look at the Old Testament, and you study the Old Testament, every time you see this idea of living water, it, it, it is really, it's a metaphor, it's a, it talks about a relationship with God, that it cleanses us, that it heals us, that it sustains us, that it strengthens us, that it refreshes us, that it literally gives us life. And what Jesus wants this woman to understand, what he wants us to understand, is that he is that living water, right? I mean, you think about what water does for us, right? It Without it, we would die. It refreshes. It gives strength. It gives life. And this is who Jesus is, and this is what he's telling this woman at the well. Listen, I am living water. If you want to truly live, if you want to be refreshed, if you want to be strengthened, if you want to know what it is to have this full and abundant life, hey, it's me. It's a relationship with me. And so he gives her a glimpse. Listen, I'll give you this living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his son and his livestock? livestock? Remember what I said about this woman? She's got this religious foundation, doesn't she? And she recognizes Jesus is a little different. And so she begins to talk about what she knows. Okay, hey, listen, I, our father Jacob was here. We're, you know, in this holy place. Are you, are you more important? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And what does he say? Well, yeah, you know what? Matter of fact, I am. Matter of fact, I am. And anyone who drinks this water will never go thirsty again. Refreshes, sustains life, nutrition. Jesus is offering this on an eternal basis to this woman. He's offering something new that she's never experienced before. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman's response, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Right? She's rejected. You can tell she's, she's rejected by her people. We're going to see more about her lifestyle and who she is. But she doesn't want to keep coming back here because this place to her is a reminder of her rejection. It's a reminder to her that she doesn't belong, that she's not with anybody else, that people don't want her there. Yet Jesus offers her something, offers her something that she doesn't have to keep coming back offers her something greater than this physical water. He offers her eternal water, living water, that she never need to go thirsty again. Verse 16, he told her, "'Go, call your husband, and come back.'" "'I have no husband,' she replied. Jesus said to her, "'You are right when you say you have no husband. "'The fact is you have had five husbands.'" And the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Jesus is pretty good about getting to the heart of the issue. And he speaks to her. And does he know? He knows the answer, right? He knows the answer. And so he speaks to her and says, right, go call your husband. And like we do many times, I think there's kind of like a, this partial confession. Jesus is getting ready to confront her sin. Getting ready to confront her great need for him. And her response is, I, you know, I, I don't have a husband. And so many times I think we're like her that there's this partial confession, right? Maybe we're caught in something, and yeah, you know what? I, I made a mistake. And we'll confess a little bit. But what Jesus is after is he's after all of us, isn't he? He's after us to confess our sins, leave it all at the foot of the cross. See, our, our, the greatest thing that we can do is, is realize our need for Jesus, to realize we are a sinner. And this is where it begins. This woman at the well, and the same thing for us, we all must realize that we have a need for a Savior. We have a need to have our sins forgiven. We have a need for living water. We have a need to be born again. We have a need for Jesus. It all begins with understanding you have a need. And until you understand you have a need, until you, if you don't understand you have a need, you're never gonna realize this need for Jesus, until we know our sin, until we know we're lost. So Jesus getting to the heart of the issue. He wants to show her that the, she has this great need, and he knows this sto- woman's story. He knows this, uh, who she is and this history, and yet he still, he still comes after her despite the fact she's a Samaritan, despite the fact that that women and men don't don't converse, despite the fact that her own people reject her, despite the fact she's had five husbands and she's now living with somebody who's not her husband, despite all that, Jesus still pursues her. Isn't that awesome? Despite all these things that she's done, Jesus still comes after her. Because it's not the healthy who need a doctor, right? It's the sick. And Jesus didn't come for those who think they have it all together. He came for those who have this great need for him. And this woman does. We do. There's a great need for Jesus, and Jesus wants her to understand this great need. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'I can see you are a prophet. "'Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, "'but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem.'" So her response is basically Jesus confronts her sin, and she's like, "Man, I gotta get to church, right? Well, I I can see you're a prophet. Our answer is worship on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is Jerusalem. She's asked, "Where do I need to go? Okay, they say here, you say here. Tell me where to go. I gotta get right. Jesus confronts her sin, and her response is, "Let's get to church. (laughs) Let's get to the place of worship." She's confronted with sin and I, I love that response because she responds like, knowingly like, yeah, I've got an issue. I better get to church and do something about it. Now Nicodemus last week, he struggled with the same thing. He struggled with this idea that how can it be that there's not something I need to do, right? He had a position of power and authority and you know, he had all this knowledge, yet Jesus wanted to help him realize that, that that didn't matter. It's all about being born again, starting over in this relationship with Jesus. Same thing with this woman. She's like, okay, I, I know I've been taught. i got to go make a sacrifice. i got to go get right. i got to do something and confess this sin. And Jesus wants to help her understand something new, this, this new idea. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do not do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now is come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So she's confronted with this sin, and I I think you can tell a lot about a person and their heart for God when they're confronted with their sin. Uh, You look at the story of David, and David was a guy, he was caught up in sin, but when he was confronted with it, and when he finally realized his sin, man, he was broken, and he confessed. This woman, when she's finally confronted with her sin, and Jesus points out the sin in her life and her great need, you know what? Man, I need to go confess. I I need to go sacrifice. I I need to get to church. And you see your heart. And this is the heart that that God seeks. People who understand they have this great need for Him. That apart from Jesus, we can't make it. We can't do it. As as hard as we try, and as many good things as we attempt to do, it's not going to be enough. There is a need for Jesus this woman understood it he wants us to understand it as well that we need him one one thing that i think stands out here is he says there's yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth and here's here's key for me for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks the father seeks I think it's important to know that it is the Father who seeks us. It is not God who is lost. We are lost. God is not the one who needs to be found. You are the one who needs to be found. When I was the youth pastor, we took a, a group to Adventureland one day. I was uh, helping out at Willowbrook, and we took a large group to uh, Adventureland. And at Adventureland, Uh, We let this, uh, it was a high school group, but we let a, I think, I don't know how old she was at the time, probably fourth or fifth grade or whatever, it was Claire Otley, and uh, we let her come along on the trip uh, to go to Adventureland. And at noon, we were all gonna meet and we were gonna have lunch out at that, uh, you know, that picnic area outside. And so at at noon, everyone was to be there. And so noon comes along. Okay, And I'm in charge and we're there and we've got, I don't know, 50 to 100 people that are there and now it's time for me to do a head count. So I do a head count and we're missing one. So we start looking around and realize that it's Claire Otley that we're missing. Right? So I'm in charge of this young elementary girl and she's the only one not here. And so this is why I got out of youth ministry. (laughs) So she's not there, and I'm, I'm in a panic, and I don't know what to do, and so I'm like, okay, I get a group of people, like, we got to go find Claire, and so we go to Adventureland, and we break up in these different groups, and we start walking around Adventureland, and we're trying to find her, can't find her, I spend a lot of time finding her, all of a sudden, I come up on, well, I don't know what the name of the ride, but it's one of these things that goes in a circle, and makes you throw up, and so I come to this ride, and there is Claire Otley riding the ride, and she's got a big old smile on her face, right? And I'm, you know, I'm calm. And so she's got this big, big smile on her face. But here's the reality. We're frantic. She's lost. Everybody is looking and searching for her. But you know what? She has no idea. She has no idea she's lost. She's having the time of her life. No idea she's lost. And this is the reality. Many people go through life and they have no idea they are lost that the great God of the universe is seeking them. He wants to show them, as Jesus showed this woman at the well, that she's lost and she needs to be found. And the same is true for us. For those apart from Jesus, we're lost. And he's seeking us. And we go through life having not a clue that we're lost. And I love this. Because it's a picture of this great God that we serve. It's a picture of this great God and his immense love for us. It's an incredible love story, isn't it? I read this morning, Romans 5 8, that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we rejected God, God sent his son Jesus. He sought us. He came after us. Jesus died for us even in that. Even while we were enemies, he came after us. He sought us. What a love story, isn't it? Don't we love a good love story? I, I, this is my favorite love story, so I'll show you my favorite love story here. Love. true love. It's true love. 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 True love, you heard him? True love is the greatest thing in the world except for a nice MLT, mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich. True love. We love true love, right? Don't, don't Princess Bride is one of my favorite stories because the story of Wesley, right, and he's chasing Buttercup, and he goes to the ends of the earth. He'll fight anybody he's got to fight to pursue Princess Buttercup. He'll go after, he'll go to great lengths. He's willing to give up his life for this one he loves. And it's the same thing God has done for us. There is no greater love story than this. He loves his bride so much. God loves his bride so much. He loves us so much that he's willing to give up his son. The father seeks. He comes after us. Isn't that incredible? That despite my sin, despite, you know, this woman at the well who's been married five times, now living with somebody that's not her husband, living a life of sin yet, man, he seeks her. He comes after her. Wants to realize she's lost and needs to be found. And he does the same for us. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. And for the first time, Jesus declares he's the Messiah. And who did he do it to? The rich, the powerful, the mighty, or a Samaritan woman living in sin? Isn't that incredible? The woman living in sin, Samaritan, rejected, and yet for the first time, Jesus makes this declaration, I'm the Messiah, and he makes it to her. That gives me hope. I love that. That it's not the the mighty, it's not the powerful, it's not the healthy, but it's the sick that Jesus has come after. It's the lost, it's the broken, it's the hurting. That's why Jesus has come. That they could be restored into right relationship with God through him. Jesus declared, I, the one you am speaking to, I am he. He is the Messiah. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her jar, her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you had said. We now have heard him for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I love her response. This broken woman, this hurting woman, this woman caught in sin, she encounters Jesus, and what is her response? It should be what every one of us, how we respond when we encounter Jesus, when we've gone from dead to alive, from sick to healthy, from broken to whole, when we encounter Jesus, you know what our response is? We can't help but go tell other people about the saving power of Jesus Christ. When you encounter Jesus and your life is truly changed because of the power of the cross, you know how we respond. We want to go tell other people about it. You go, go look at the Gospels, right? Andrew, what's he do? He goes and tells his brother Peter. Philip goes gets his friend Nathaniel. You've got to see this one we've talked about, who Moses talked about, who the prophets talked about. Matthew, Jesus says, follow me. And you know what his first response is? He goes and gets all his friends and he throws this big party so they can come and meet Jesus as well. And the Samaritan woman encounters Jesus, her life is changed, and she can't help but go tell others about him and what he's done. Our response should be the same. We're no different than the Samaritan woman. We're lost, we're broken, we're sinful, and we need Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, understand that. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus seeks you. He comes after you. He loves you. It's the greatest love story there is. He pursues us. He pursues us and loves you so much, he gave up his life for you. We're going to take some time here, and we're going to take the bread and the juice, and we're going to remember this great thing that God has done in giving us his son, Jesus. Here's what I want to challenge you with you before we do that. I want you to look and examine your life. Right? Just like this woman at the well, Jesus confronted her and her sin. Confronted her and her sin. If you're here this morning and God is confronting you with your sin, man, don't wait. Don't wait. We want to talk to you. We want to talk to you. We want to tell you about this great thing that Jesus has done for you. Don't be like her when she was, you know, gave this partial confession of her sin. Confess it all. Leave it all. Leave it all there. As we take the bread and the juice, here's what I want to do. I want you to to sit where you are to pray, to confess, to leave it at the foot of the cross. Leave it there. And as you make this decision... And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I, I want to challenge you, encourage you this morning that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day as he pursued a woman at the well, he pursues you in the same way. I'm going to pray, and I, I'd love to talk to you. and I'll sit right up front, and if you would like to talk more about who Jesus is and what he's done, I'd love to have that conversation. So I'll come up here, and if you want to talk more, let's do it let me pray god we thank you so much for jesus god we thank you for this great love story this great love story god how you have given your son given your son god as we sit here this morning some of us you know what we're we're living stagnant lives we're 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 not pursuing you with all of our heart mind and soul and god We're in that place where there's a partial confession. God, we know that you want all of us. God, help us to leave it all at the foot of the cross, to leave it all at your feet. God, as we examine our lives, the bread and the juice, God, show us the sin in our lives. And if we need to confess the sin in our lives, help us to confess that. God, for those of us here this morning that don't know you, that have not made the decision to follow you, God, today can be that day. And we pray and we ask that for those that don't have that relationship with you, that they would surrender to you even today. Thank you for Jesus. And God, thank you that you seek us, you come after us, and you've loved us so much, you gave us your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.